Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Welcome to Profit First Nation, the podcast for the top 17% of entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability. Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leveraged Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs on owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day and doing Profit First right. If you are a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable with a grit and a growth mindset that lets no obstacle stand in our way in pursuit of the three P's, passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced Profit First strategies and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. On today's episode, we are going to kind of go a little bit deeper based off of an email uh, that I got a few weeks ago and that I read on the podcast, and it was from Melanie, and uh, she mentioned, and I had had a call with her over the summer, and she subsequently um, hooked up with Dan Dogs of Every Single Bean, and he is her profit first professional. And um, But she gave me an update several months down the road. And in the email, I'm just going to read the part that um, we're going to peel back the layers on today. She said, I listened to Surge and Burst twice yesterday. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed by what I have dubbed my 2020 quantum leap growth as a businesswoman. I'm also growing clinically as a therapist through the challenges of navigating 2020 with clients. The overlap and integration of change processes in the two roles is incredible. I am truly expanding at a quantum rate, and much of it has felt like chaos. The larger perspective of your podcast, particularly this episode, was exactly what I needed this weekend. I have fired three people and just laid off the first of two C-team employees on Friday, all right? She goes on to, to talk a little bit more, and you can go back to the episode where we read this as a Profit First Nation inspiration. But what's interesting about Melanie is that she acquired a counseling practice with a property and a building and several suites and... um manages a plethora of therapists who work out of her practice. And um, like I said, she acquired the practice earlier this year, and we connected about Profit First and started talking about things and such. And we had maybe two 30, 45-minute calls, and then I introduced her to Dan Dogs of Every Single Bean. And what was interesting when she really kind of dove into things and such was she really, and this is very common, maybe didn't get the business that she was expecting to get. 
So when you make an acquisition, and for her, she actually had a very modest investment. I mean, it was a, a good deal, and she has dove in quickly and implemented Profit First out of the gate. So, I mean, her first year in business after an acquisition is going to be profitable because she's taking action and she's making things happen. But the financials really weren't as good as they were initially presented by the owner. But again, her investment was modest, so it wasn't like it was totally misleading. Um, And Melanie is super sharp. And because she's implementing Profit First, she is on the path to permanent profitability. But one thing that we talked about um, when she was giving me an overview of her practice, and you know, it's 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 a large group, and uh, there's th- several therapists. They have appointments during the day, and they have um, appointments at night. So they have almost two shifts of people. They have people that work day and people that work at night. So they do have, you know, what I thought was a quite a significant staff count when she took over this business. And when we talked through um, the different employees, because there's a a very simple ratio that um, I think can apply to every business. And that actually, I've talked about this on the podcast before, and it comes from Simple Numbers by Greg Crabtree. Again, that book is Simple Numbers by Greg Crabtree. He came out in November with actually Simple Numbers 2.0, an updated version. And uh, I really like how he provides some good metrics on things to measure in your business and and benchmarks to bump them up against. And uh, as I think I've mentioned before as well, Greg Crabtree, Mike McHallowitz, and myself are all products of, of MIT's Birthing of Giants. So uh, we go back quite a ways, um, going on about 16, 17 years now. But in his book, Simple Numbers, in terms of how many employees that you have should be a ratio to your total revenue. So for every $150,000 in revenue on average is one employee. So if you have $300,000 in revenue and you have five employees, you have exceeded the ratio. If you have $300,000 in revenue, you likely should be having two employees. And really, don't forget you as an employee because as the owner, you are the most valuable employee in your organization and you definitely need to be paying yourself first, which is why owner's pay ranks high in terms of the order of your allocations just after your profit allocation, all right? So in Melanie's case, they had um, way over the number of employees to their total revenue um, when we use that $150,000 metric as as the revenue per employee. And so um, right then and there, we started talking through the different employees that had, you know, she had known previously because she was a therapist in that practice previously and uh, and then made the acquisition about maybe four or five months prior to our conversation. So she had a good feel of these individuals. And when we talked through them, I mean, to be honest, she very quickly and easily 
was able to grade them as A, B, or C players. Unfortunately, she only had two A players. She had a couple of Bs, and then she had mostly C players in the front office and the billing staff. And what was interesting about her, and and as you have surmised from the email that I shared with you or the snippet of it, is that she's fired three people and laid off the first of two C team employees. And what's great about that is that has a great impact on her profitability. Why? Because if you take the A, B, and C players, that is um, ranking your employees and top grading is probably the most well-known concept around ranking employees. And top grading actually came out of General Electric in the days of Jack Welch. And the Bradfords actually worked under Jack Welch in helping to cultivate that culture of top grading and making sure that the organization was full of A players. And in top grading, A players represent the top 10% of available talent in the marketplace. When you use top grading, you have an 86% success rate of hiring A players versus most people's common and varied methods which yields about a 28% chance of hiring an A player. So by using top grading's methodology, you more than triple your chances of hiring an A player. So in top grading, an A player represents the top 10% of available talent in the marketplace at the same price, at the same salary that you would pay for a B or C player. You cannot give a C player more money and expect their performance to change. In roles, people are either an A, B, or C player, and money doesn't change their performance. So when Melanie let go of, uh, fired her B and C players, she didn't have to probably replace them because she had already brought on one of the two A players that she already had. And in top grading, one A player is the equivalent of two or three B and C players. So when people have a lot of employees, I like to, um, and this is typically the companies with $750,000 million plus in real revenue, that's when you start to have a significant number of employees And if they're struggling with profitability, uh, to be honest, the first area I like to look at is not how much are you paying in subscriptions and operating and, you know, basic operating expenses. But I I like to go look at the employees because oftentimes it's employees that make up, honestly, your biggest operating expense, your payroll. And if you have B and C players, then you're paying twice as much as what you should be paying for someone to do the job, the role, than if you had an A player. So let's talk a little bit about A players and top grading in general. 
I've been using top grading since, oh my goodness, um, about 2003 um, is when I went through top grading and learned it directly from Bradford and Jeff Smart, and they are the authors of top grading. Now, top grading is a thick tome of a book and has a lot of research and a lot of detail in it. And um, Mike and I were actually just talking about it the other day. And it's, it is a struggle to read. The smarts do offer top grading courses. And there is sort of an abridged version of top grading that is available on Amazon as well. And so I would recommend starting with the abridged version if you'd like, or signing up for one of uh, the top grading courses. But um, I'm going to talk to you about the four pillars of hiring an A player based off of top grading, and also what I have done in terms of augmenting top grading and bringing it a little bit more into um, what I would call the 21st century. So the four pillars of hiring A players are number one, utilizing scorecards. Number two, recruiting. Number three, your application and pre-screening process. And number four, your interviews. So remember the impact of top grading on hiring A players or high performers is that doing it sort of how you've been doing it ad hoc, you have about a 26% success rate of hiring an A player. And after implementing top grading, organizations that use top grading have hiring successes of 85% or higher in hiring actual A players. So let's walk through the four pillars individually. Number one, scorecards. Scorecards are important because they define specifically with metrics attached to them what A-level performance looks like in a particular job. And it tells you exactly what to look for in a candidate. So for like an account sales manager, a traditional job description might say they must be effective at capturing new accounts. They must excel at closing business. They must have excellent communication skills. They must have three years of relevant sales experience. Must blah, 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 blah. I mean, how generic and vanilla and just unassuming can you be in this job description? So really, when you look at a job description, you need to attach metrics to the expectations. So must be effective at capturing new accounts. Well, how many new accounts are you expecting them to capture? If they must excel at closing business, how much do they need to close in business during what timeframes? If they must have excellent communication skills, how good are those communication skills and how are you going to rate them or measure them? What are the metrics associated with that? And if they must have three years of relevant sales experience, why three? So again, you must be very, very specific and you also need to test things. In our claims processing business, we have metrics that we are very upfront about and we measure everyone on a monthly basis and produce scorecards that show them their performance month over month. And in terms of our metrics, we need people to 
achieve 98% or higher in terms of financial accuracy. We need them to hit 90% or greater in terms of procedural accuracy. And their average claims processing per day needs to be 45 claims per day. And so we measure that, but we set that expectation during the hiring process that we are looking for people with great attention to detail. And what do we mean by attention to detail? Well, we're going to measure that by them scoring 98% financial accuracy and 90% procedural accuracy. Number two in terms of pillars is recruiting. Now, recruiting and A players represent the top 10% of available talent in the marketplace. So that means that if A players are the top 10% of available talent, then one out of 10 candidates is an A player. Simple math, 10% out of 10 people would be one A player. So do you want to cast a small net when you're recruiting A players? No, you want to cast as wide of a net as possible. And as your organization grows, the methods at which you're casting that net definitely need to grow as well. Uh, because your company is becoming a little bit more sophisticated. I was talking to someone today, and you know, especially in the startup phase or the under $500,000 phase, you're typically starting your businesses with uh, friends and family, and you don't necessarily need a significant level of sophistication because you're kind of getting it figured out too. But really, as you get to a million dollars and plus, that's when you kind of almost have to start from scratch to a certain degree because the in, most likely the individuals that got you to that point don't have the experience, don't have the knowledge to get you past that point. So again, this is why I often see businesses at that million dollar plus real revenue struggle with profitability because they've, they've started becoming a home to B and C players that are um, costing them in terms of their profitability instead of top grading those B and C players out and replacing them with A players for essentially half the cost. Why half the cost? Because one A player can do the job of two or three B or C players and you pay an A player the exact same salary that you pay a B or C player. So when it comes to hiring, I mean, uh, I'll tell you this, out front signage works great if you have a physical location. One of our last hires in the last year for our construction material supply business, we actually hired by someone passing by and seeing our sign out front. And it wasn't just a small sign. It was a pretty big banner. And um, they referred the person to it. And then that person um, applied for our job online. But we cast a wide net. It happened that the A player we hired came to us via the out front signage. But that's not all that we did. Um, Local colleges and universities are also a great, great way to recruit and hire fresh talent. I do like to hire um, oftentimes entry level, so people fresh out of college. Uh, because then we can kind of mold them uh, from from the get-go. And so another one of our hires in the last year, actually two of our hires in the last year, came from local colleges and universities. 
And what I did was um, we were looking for project engineers, so people with engineering degrees, and I found the names of the admins of the civil engineering departments at the local universities in the Orange County, LA area, and emailed them our job description, and they pushed it out to, to, to their students and their alumni, and we got great candidates. We also got some B and C candidates as well, um, but I didn't have to talk to them, and I'll explain why and how. Um, Facebook, we did use Facebook as a way to communicate um, on local job boards. And um, then we also use online job boards. So we kind of have a, a, an applicant tracking system that we use that has assessments associated with it that um, actually posts our job automatically on online job boards. We have used Indeed a la carte and CareerBuilder a la carte in the past, but um, we've had great success in, in this ATS system, applicant tracking system that we use now that just kind of does it all for us. And then we also are fairly active, especially in our industry on LinkedIn, in our construction material supply business. So we, when we are hiring, we'll often put out um, that we're hiring on, on the job boards, um, excuse me, on LinkedIn as well under our feed. Now, we um, have not had great success, and I haven't heard other people have great success from LinkedIn by paying for their services. And I understand that they're that they're pretty pricey. So if I'm wrong and you've had great success paying for LinkedIn, then please let us know. But I do use LinkedIn, just not the paid version. We are posting our ad, or not our ad. We're we're making a post in our feed, and then our our employees are also posting it in their feed. So we post it in our company feed and individual employees feeds as well. And then. The other thing that is a great way to help cast that net is a virtual bench. And virtual bench is a terminology from top grading. And that is, you know, having candidates that you have identified come across and, um, you know, just kind of have identified them as, as potential A players. And when you have an opening, you go to them. So um, actually someone in our accounting department came from my virtual bench. And it was actually a couple of people from our accounting department. And, you know, I mean, it took me two or three years, but they finally came on board and they've now been with us for, oh my goodness, five, six, seven years. And they've been great. But it's not one method. It is a combination of methodologies to cast as wide of debt as possible. So you get as many candidates as possible. When we're hiring for a claims examiner position, uh, it's a great entry-level job in our Indiana office, and we typically get about 130 applications uh, when we are hiring for a claims examiner. We hire for a claims examiner in that office about twice a year, and sadly, or not sadly, I guess in a good way, um, we're often having to backfill the position because our client who we are um, a subcontractor on to, they're the prime contractor to a state of California contract. Um, the prime contractor promotes our employees on their side of the house. And so then we have to backfill that position. 
Number three, the number three pillar is the application and pre-screening process. So in terms of the application and pre-screening process, we leverage automation to feed A's into the pipeline and we eliminate B's and C's early in the process. So when people use our applicant tracking system, they apply online. So we're directing them to an online application. They enter, answer a few questions, enter some details, upload their resume. But in our job description, we clearly outline the steps of our hiring process, which clearly states that after your application, you will be given an assessment that you need to complete within 24 hours of your application. And we set it out that it takes about 35 minutes and you have to do it in one sitting. Um, Well, let me tell you this. The C's that apply, uh, they didn't read the whole job description because the C's are the people that apply and never take the assessment. And the B's are the people that take the assessment and score 80% or less. And then the potential A's are people who score 80% or higher on the assessment. And those are the people that I look at and start the um, continuing down our path of assessment. Now, this assessment is is unique. We use Preview. It's part of our applicant tracking system. And I've been using it for probably seven years now. And what's cool about it is that you can set your own benchmarks. And so um, maybe I'm getting a little bit too in the weeds. But anyways, we customize what we're looking for in the assessments with each position. And then we take our existing A players where they fell on the scale And then that creates our benchmark for each of the new roles that we are hiring for. So we're kind of, to a certain degree, cloning our candidates. So in terms of like Patriot RN, like I talked about, um, you know, we'll review 130 to 160 resumes. So I'm, I'm looking at a history right now of our recruitment from Q3 and we reviewed 158 resumes So we had 158 applicants. We moved 30 candidates to the testing phase. Um, We had five screening interviews via Zoom. We did four on-site interviews, and we had four hireable candidates. But we presented two of those candidates with offers. And so really, we hired two out of 158 applicants. We we got down to the top 1.3%. And so then the final fourth pillar is interviews. And top grading recommends structured tandem interviews with key competencies scored plus additional on-site job-specific testing. And so that's something that we do is the testing. Now, top grading's structured interview is really a four-hour interview. I don't honestly use their structured interview for a four-hour interview um, for a new hire but I use an abbreviated version for an entry-level new hire type position. If I'm hiring for a manager or, you know, a senior level position, we will do the four-hour structured interview and go through every single question. But the tandem approach is great. Two heads are better than one. And so by having two people in the room, it makes it a little bit more objective in terms of holding you accountable to making sure that they're hitting the criteria that you're looking for. And um, there's over 50 competencies, key competencies that the SMARTs have outlined in top grading. 
and you really need to set a score and what you're looking for in that. But what's also cool about their competencies is that they give you a good idea of whether that competency is easy for that person to change, if it's hard but doable for that person to change, or if it's easy for that person to change. So for example, if you're looking for someone to be super creative, well, that's a competency that would be very difficult for someone to change. People are honestly either creative or not so creative. So if you're looking for a creative person and you want someone to score a four out of five in terms of creativity, and when you're interviewing someone or reviewing their portfolio and you'd give it a two, well, then you should know that if you're looking for a creative person, this is not the person for you because they scored a two and creativity is a difficult competency for an individual to change. Nothing's impossible. Just know what you're getting. And so a couple other tips in terms of the top grading interviewing techniques is make sure that you're employing the power of awkward silence. Do not answer the questions for the candidate. Let them sit there and answer honestly and truthfully. The silence will kill them. Most interviewers blow it by giving the candidate leading responses but you're wanting to get as objective as a measure of possible in terms of your assessment of the individual. So make sure that when you ask a question, you ask a question and you keep your mouth shut and you let them sit there until they answer the question. Sometimes it could be 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, but you are in control. Let that awkward silence set. Uh, And and that being said, obviously, the candidate should do 80 to 90% of the talking. You are just asking the questions. And if they're not giving you detail, you ask for detail. Again, we also administer on-site job-specific skill testing as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have had put 65 words per minute on a resume and uh, come in and taken a typing test and scored 20 eight. I I don't know. I mean, uh, clearly they just played the game that no one ever tests this stuff. um, Because to be honest, I'd say 95% of employers don't do any sort of testing. That's why you should do the testing so that you can eliminate the B and C players and get the true A players. And then um, one last thing in terms of the interview techniques that is a big top grading thing is torque threat of reference check. So you want to make it known to them that as a condition of employment, they need to schedule their own reference checks and it will show you how bad they want it. If there are some skeletons in their closet, uh, then they'll pass. They won't set up the reference checks. If they worked for someone who maybe works for a company that does not allow reference checks to be done, uh, give me a break. If this was a true A player and a great person and they had a great boss and you really want them and they really want this job, then they will be able to schedule a reference check for you to talk to their former boss. Again, You're just looking for the red flags. You are trying to find the top 10% of available talent. So it's eliminating the B and C players. It is 
paying attention to every red flag. And if you see one red flag, you stop and you eliminate that candidate and move on to the next candidate. Because you should have plenty of candidates when you cast that wide, wide net that we talked about and the different techniques. Do not put all your eggs in one basket and think, okay, I'm going to put the job on Indeed. We should be good. That's an egg in one basket. You want all your eggs in all the different baskets and cast as wide of a net as possible. So, oh my goodness, that was a lot. And, um, but obviously it is definitely one of my passions and without a doubt, one of the reasons why I'm able to do this podcast because I have A players in my organization. Now, have I hired some B and C players in A player clothing? Yes. I would say that one out of every 10 hires that I've actually made has not turned out to be the A player I thought them to be based off of testing and assessments, et cetera. But I'm really pretty good at it. I'd say I definitely have a 90% uh, A player hiring rate. And because I have A players in the organization, because I have people who can do a better job than me at what their role is, I can do this podcast. I can, at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays, uh, step away from the office and record this podcast for you and do some other fun things like take a six-week vacation. So I don't know if you really need any more convincing um, on A, B, or C players and why you need to do A players. But if you do, shoot me a line. I'm happy to answer any questions on this. And um, if you guys want to hear more, let me know that too. If you'd like to connect with us, all you have to do is go to ProfitFirstNation.com and click on Contact. There, you can connect with a Profit First professional accountant, bookkeeper, or coach. And you can also opt into our resources as well by going to ProfitFirstNation.com and clicking on Resources. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friend. How'd you love the show today? I hope a lot. Do yourself a favor and me a favor. Why don't you subscribe? Profit First Nation website, related podcasts, and resources are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional.